everyone. Happy Sunday to you all. And actually the first Sunday of September. I can't believe how fast this year is cruising by September 1st. Kids are going back to school here in Canada. I'm sure they've already been back in school for a good week or so in the United States. But we're happy to be here with you live. You're watching the Helix Hour. And today we're being joined by Line 6 artist, guitarist Josh Smith. Josh, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm thrilled to be uh, talking some guitar with you today. Uh, as I was telling you off the air earlier, I was sharing some uh, videos here with uh, the better half here at home, and uh, it's just so inspiring, like to watch the the passion and the emotion that comes out of your guitar playing. And uh, you know, I've, I was introduced to you kind of in a weird way, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I found you in a little bit. Uh, it was kind of very cool. Discovering Helix is how I discovered you. And I'm really, really excited about that too because Helix has brought so many cool people in my direction and brought me into their directions and circles of, of you know, tone and just. I, so it's it's a very cool community to be part of, and I'm thrilled to be having you on the show today as well too in our our fourth season. So thank you for so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. A real pleasure for sure. We're going to jump over to the chat quite a few times throughout the the afternoon today. Uh, a lot of cool people jumping in, uh, part of that Line 6 community. And even there's probably some people joining us today. I shared some of your videos that maybe don't even know what Helix is, but just a fan of your guitar playing. So that's what's cool. And, and maybe we'll introduce that, some new fans to the product as well too. But while we do that, let's say hi to a, a bunch of people real quickly here. Uh, Pooh Ninja is here, one of our regulars. Bam Ozzy, Carlos Santon. Uh, Butterfly and Ladybug Show is my better half here, uh, sharing all your links. We're going to be sharing links to your YouTube, your Instagram, your Facebook, your website, all that good stuff today. And I also want to make note of if, if you want to get some questions sent to us uh, for Josh or myself, most importantly, Josh, either tag Music Gear Network in the uh, live chat or tag Butterfly and Ladybug Show, and we'll get those questions funneled to me as well, too. Derek Merrill is here. Uh, Alec Bourne is here. Uh, uh, let me see here. Quentin James is here. Ed B is here. I saw Frank Rashad is here somewhere. Uh, Marcel Blade is here. Uh, Joe Hervey is here. There is Frank. Um, let me see here. Andy Smith is here as well too. Johnny Lee's jumping in. Mark Taylor. Thrash metal, metal and fun riffs. And I don't know if I've missed it. Gary Tholander is here. So I'm going to highlight uh, where I left off with Gary. Janice Lala is here as well, too. So as I was kind of kind of teasing how I discovered you, it was one of those uh, lines. It was like guitarists meet Helix for the first time or it, it, that video. It was so cool. And it's one of those things where, you know, you were part of it as well, too. But, you know, you, you just watch the people's faces. You don't have to have a sales uh, you know, pitch or anything like that. And I saw the giggles and the grins of you. Can you kind of share that experience the first time you uh, discovered Helix with the team there and what it felt like to you? Well, yeah. Um, you know, as you said earlier, Matt Ferguson has been a, a friend for 20 years almost since I've lived in Los Angeles. And when Matt started working for Line 6, uh, he told me about the the Helix before it was getting ready to come out. And he, he wanted me to come check it out. I think a lot because he knew I would be not the target audience for the Helix at all. 100%. Just to see what my reaction would be. So I came down, and it was him and Sean, uh, and we were messing around with it. And, yeah, I was super impressed by the product. And, uh, yeah, I've you know found a lot of use for him over the last few years. I have uh, regular Helix, uh, Helix FX, and now I, I use the HX Stomp on my main board now. Wow, so you've got all three products. I do, yeah. And you you nailed it when you said you're not the ideal candidate. 
And yeah. and that's very cool because there's a lot of these tone purists out there, you know, that it's got to be either direct guitar to an amplifier or maybe just a couple pedals in between. And I think you're one of those guys. I know you have a you know pretty substantial board as well, too, normally, analog board. Um, but a lot of people have like their kind of their guard up. And I was one of those people as well, too. You know, I, I'm like a, from the Eddie Van Halen school of rock where it's, you know, you know, the high gain amplifiers, a couple pedals in between, a couple pedals in the effects loop. And I certainly did not want to embrace digital technology whatsoever. And I think in life, a lot of times, if we're if we're ignorant to some things, if we don't know what they can do, we tend to say that they're no good. We don't want to approach it. So when you finally broke that barrier, uh, like what for, what was the learning curve like for you? Like when you when you first got your hands on it, maybe you took one home. Was it a hard thing to approach, considering you normally would not go down that route? Well, I don't know if it was a hard thing to approach because I'm super nerdy. So good. Uh, I, <laughs> I can't help but learn. You know, I probably was doing my homework in advance before I even got it. Nice and figuring out how to program it because that's the way I am. But. Um, you know, it still took a while to embrace the amp side of it. And just being 100% forthright, I don't really use much of the amp side of any of them. Okay. You know, occasion I have when the main Helix used a few amp things here in the studio, uh, but it's been in odd situations. The Helix I have in my studio is the rack version. Okay. And I use it quite a bit on non-guitar things. I use the effects. I use amp sims and cabinet sims sometimes just in studio applications. Um, but the one that's on my main board, the HX Stomp, I'm using completely all effects and, you know, using it as a bunch of, you know, pedals basically. And, um, you know, I was mostly blown away when I first tried the Helix by just the quality of sounds in the unit as, as effects on their own without the amp sims and without the cabinet sims and all that stuff. I was really, really just impressed by the flexibility of the unit and the sounds itself. And that's what, what is always important to me because, as you said, I am mostly, even though I have a pretty substantial pedal board most of the time and I am really nerdy, mm -hmm. most of the time I've got one or two pedals on and I'm straight into an amp, you know? So I'm most concerned with how do things feel and how do things sound. And it, it passed the test for that when I first tried it. So I didn't have any qualms about putting it into the rig, you know? Well, that's really cool. And that's a good thing to, sh to share as well, too, even if you're not using it for the amp modeling. And that's where I, I can certainly see where HXFX comes in handy for you as well. Uh, you know, just using the, the, I mean, a plethora of effects that are built into that. I mean, one device can pretty much, you know, encompass all those effects that you've used over the years from like tape delays and reverbs and springs and I mean, just everything you can think of. And and our artists as well too, like Steve Stevens is another good example. Someone that you would never it would never expect to see using HX effects now using that to to replace a lot of you know because he's using you know high gain amplifiers and stuff like that. He's not using it for the amp modeling, but liking it for the effects. So oh, yeah, so very cool. And Stomp, as you mentioned, very very small footprint. And I'm seeing more and more guys, you know, going that route. And having a, such a very, very small footprint, whether it be a fly, a fly date or a small club gig, you know, sometimes some of these major artists are doing major festivals. They've got a Helix, they've got other stuff as well, too. But they want to do a small club date for a special promo. They can show up with Stomp and they've got it all. Yeah, Stomp is really impressive. You know, I, I mean, it, it, because I was familiar with the Helix already. It, there's nothing missing in the stomp. Exactly. Know? It's all there, but it's just so small. And on my main board, I've basically got it doing, you know, uh, 
it depends on on my my preset combinations with my other pedals and stuff. But I've got a lot of sounds in the stomp already that I use pretty regularly. And then, like you said, uh, you know, even though I don't use the amp stuff, I have a few programmed in there as emergency for if something goes down, I can take a direct line from my pedal board and go to front of house and have a sound that sounds like an amp, you know? Very smart thinking, just in case I got a little safety net. Yes, absolutely. Not that I had this on our list of questions for today, but are there some particular effects that really shine through, whether it be, I mean, because obviously speaking uh, Helix, HX Stomp, or HX Effects now, especially with 2.8, everything's sharing the same, you know, engine, so to speak. Are there some effects that just like are to die for for you that, you know, they're, you're guaranteed you're going to go for every time, whether it be like Leslie effects or reverbs delays? Is there anything that really shines through for you? I have a Leslie that I use in there. I have a uh, vibrato that I really like. Uh, that I use quite a bit. It's like a magnetone style vibrato. Um, uh, I have all my trims I use from the, the HX effects and the HX stomp. Uh, and then I have some reverbs and delays. And I have a ring mod that I programmed in the HX stomp that I use quite a bit, actually. It's a very, very mild ring mod that sounds almost just like noise in the okay. background. Okay, nice. Well, it's, it's really funny. I need to experiment with that more because I've had several guests come on the show and um, kind of awake, make me like, open my eyes to certain things. Chris Robinson from Blackstone Cherry, he's been on a few times. He's a friend with a lot of us here in the community, uh, you know, well-respected musician. And he's made me open my eyes to fuzz, especially octave fuzz. And, and I'm not a fuzz guy, um, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm embracing it now thanks to him. But Ring Mod, I, something I would, I, I, I've played with it, but I, I mean... How how would the average uh, person approach ring mod and use it in a tasteful way? I don't even know how to use it. I'm curious to see how you use it. Well, the way I use ring mod is probably at, different than most people. I use it just to create like almost like a nasty, gnarly tremolo. Okay. With the mix way down, very below. It sounds like a garbled sound. Um, there's a record that I was obsessed with as a kid by Danny Gatton where he's playing his guitar and they mic the guitar through a fan, like an actual oh, fan. Oh, exactly, great. Popping up the sound, and it sounds like a ring mod. And I've constantly been, on every pedal I've ever had, trying to program closer and closer to that sound. And uh, so that I'm using the, the, the Helix for that right now. That's that's one of the sounds I use a lot. Very cool. So trying to duplicate Danny Gatton's <laughs> through the fan, that's very cool. Yeah, I love that. Well, I, great approaches. And I think that's something that we try to kind of convey on every show is, um, I, I mean, I really try hard on this is get out of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? Like I would never approach fuzz and now I'm going to go try that just for fun. Now I've, I've approached it and I've turned it on where it's like pretty much heavy into the, like the, uh, the depth is heavy and it's something I don't like right off the, the get go. But like you say, you bury it in the mix and it's almost like, okay, if you turn it off, you might say, where did that go? But when you turn it on, it's not too much in your face either. Yeah. Yeah. Wicked. Very cool. See, the nice thing about Helix, which is something that I'm getting way into just in general Mm -hmm. with all my gear, is the ability to have parallel paths. Yes. Uh, I'm doing that a lot with my analog pedals these days. Um, uh, You know, having different pedals going to different amps. And uh, I really, really like that the flexibility and the routing on the Helix to be able to have things like that going in and out of the different outputs. Very well said, because that's what a lot of guys talk about, and I hear from a lot of different guitar techs that they just love the routing capabilities of these things. Sometimes they're not even using it to its even close to its full potential, but they just love it for the routing. Turning on different signal paths, there's so many things you can do with it. 
yeah. Yeah, we have one question coming in from our friend Carlo. Um, he's asking, obviously, so you, you use tube amps still. He's asking um, which ones do you use and how, uh, which one of your favorite amps and how often do you use tube amps? It's pretty much your, your go-to thing, right? Oh, yeah, I use tube amps 100% of the time. Um, even, you know, here in the studio, I, I'm lucky enough to have my own studio so I can play as loud as I want. Sure. I can mic up whatever I want. Um, but my main amps are Morgan amplifiers, mm-hmm. which is my friend Joe Morgan. He used to be out here in California. Now he's in Nashville. And uh, my main rig for the last almost 10 years has been basically his version of a Super Reverb and his version of a uh, AC30 together. Okay. I like the sound of a Fender amp and a Vox amp together in combination. So when I can, that's what I try to use. Nice. Oh, very nice combination. We're going to jump back over to the chat for a quick sec because I had a few more people that uh, popped in as well, too. Uh, Phil Mosley Music is here. Blue Hall says, I kicked my wife out of the house for this episode. <laughs> so he's a diehard. He must be a diehard fan of yours for sure because I'm sure he wouldn't kick his wife out for for me. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Charles Ireson says, uh, good evening from Germany. Uh, yeah. Let me continue on here see if I miss anybody else. Uh, David Ennis is here. I think I mentioned Johnny Lee, our good friend over in the UK. Andy Smith is here. Uh, let me continue on. This is great. Chris Link, Scott Roos. Um, it says, anyone use the Murph model? I'm curious if something may people use. It's kind of weird sounding to me. I haven't. Lars Guitarist is here. Quentin James, I think I mentioned. Uh, RJ the Mad One is here. Uh, let me see if I miss anybody else. We have a lot of uh, Six String Brian is here as well, too. Thank you, everyone, for, for jumping in. Um, did, have you had a chance yet? I mean, obviously, like the tube amp is your thing, and and uh, I mean that's awesome. Have you had a chance to experiment with the Power Cab uh, series of uh, cabinets yet from Line Six? I have not ever experienced the the Power Cab series. Um, I'd be curious to try it. You know, I don't have a lot of experience, quite honestly, with using Helix only. Right, live, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I'd be curious to see how that goes you know, with a power cab or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are doing this type of thing, obviously. This is the wave of the future, so mm-hmm. a lot of guys are using Helix or other products. I have used, um, not that it's in the same category, but I've used the UA Oxbox before live with my tube amps, yep. and, it, and it did open my, my brain to some of the possibilities that these things could do live, uh, and it was really cool in a, in a, in like a thinking outside the box way of, even just setting up the front of house and monitoring off of the Helix or a, a device like the Oxbox and not necessarily having it be what I'm hearing on stage, I can see a lot of convenience and flexibility from those type of things. I could see you right, right off the get-go, being that you're a tone purist with uh, with analog gear and tube amps and things like that. I would see probably, I'm just guessing, but when you use them, you can use them in two different modes. You can either use them with like a full-range flat response, basically like a you know, high-fidelity type of you know what you'd hear on a mastered CD coming through your beautiful stereo system, or you can go into speaker emulation mode. And I mean, they especially with the newest 2.0 updates, they've got some fantastic uh, speaker models. And one that really, you know, rang through for me was the uh, the EVH G12, whatever it's called, from Celestian. Same ones that were in the Van Halen models, uh, you know, 5150s, right? But you can take it a step further, especially with like the new 212. You can, you can barely see one behind me. I've got one. You, I'm not sure if you can see it on camera, but I've got the 212 and the 112 back there. So on the 212, you could have like your Vox, like a big uh, uh, Vox speaker and uh, EVH, or you can blend the two together, or you can have two matching pairs. But I think you would probably gravitate more towards the speaker emulation versus oh. the f- full range uh, flat response but you should try one when you get a chance talk to matt and see what you can work out 
what would be cool I see in my mind I'm already thinking like to me it would be cool to use in conjunction with my tube amp and then have the helix be like the wet amp a stereo wet amp with two different speakers you know it's like uh, I'm already thinking about that. yeah <laughs> I'm glad to see you going that route because it's it's the the possibilities are endless Something that I've done, I mean, you see some of these guys on stage that are, you know, kind of approaching the the power cab now for the, either their monitors or whatever they're using. But oh. you mentioned earlier about Helix having these crazy, crazy routing possibilities. Something I've done, and I, I always profess I'm not a Helix, uh, you know, uh, all-knowing burrito. I, I, I'm, I'm a, still a newbie, but I like to experiment a bit. So the 212, I've got running um, Helix XLR out directly to the 212. Okay, so and it, it technically is coming out stereo. And here's another thing you'll like too. It has a mode where you can expand the width. So technically you think 100% is everything you can give, right? Someone says, give me your 100% or nothing. Well, you've got 100% stereo width. You can actually go up to almost like 200%. So that stereo spectrum becomes like this. But mm. keep it keep it normal. Keep it dead center 100%. And then coming out of digital, uh, L6 link out of Helix, I'm sending left out to a 112 plus right out to a 112 plus i've created a different path and i just bring my my time and my modulation effects like reverbs and delays as my wet and wet dry down the center and i've assigned it to an expression pedal that's a sean halley uh tip you know so bringing in how much wet you want and oh my god it just it's like i have i've described it as this tone that reaches around and gives you a big hug it's yeah, pre- it's, yeah it's pretty oh. cool yeah, that so, is really cool. yeah something for you to check out down the road for sure uh let me see here uh ryan chan says just want to see him or just want to say a massive thanks to josh for coming on uh to the bullington and oxford on his last uk tour absolutely incredible show please come back to oxford i will be back in the uk later next year absolutely fantastic and since we're talking about some dates this was later in the program as well too but i see that you have some you have a handful of american dates and then over to germany for a little bit yeah, the rest of this year I'm home, um, so it's just some stuff in the states, some little one-off trips, and then next year I'm, I'll be on tour most of the year. Um, but yeah, I'll be in Germany, well, all over Europe, all of uh, April and May of next year. Oh, fantastic! And Johnny Lee says, uh, "Does Josh use wireless? I need to go wireless to Christmas for theater shows." Um, Best Line Six Wireless. Are you using wireless at all? You, I, it's, a lot of times I see some of your videos. You're you're with a cord. Yeah, no, I never use wireless live. Um, I have in the past used wireless before. Um, I do have, I have a, a relay, mm-hmm. uh, one that I use every now and then, um, and it works great. Um, but live, I'm, I'm not a big uh, run around the stage guy, <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's never been a real issue for me. When I was a kid, I used to use a wireless all the time. And uh, that was back when they still were not so great. But yeah. now it's amazing every now and then you plug some of these in and uh, they're really, really high quality and so small. I mean, the, the Line 6 one I have now is like the size of a bug, you know? Like it's, this? It's pretty Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's it. it. It's funny because people ask me all the time, like I say, I love wireless here. And I'm, I mean, what you see behind me is only about 10 feet max. So I don't need wireless, but I literally one time wrapped a guitar cable around my chair when I was about to move myself back and I fell over on my butt on a live show. And so it's not a need, it's a convenience. And, and I, I really enjoyed that. But I have, to, I have to take a picture down on my shelf down below. I've got an archaic museum piece, which is like an 8201 VHF wireless, probably what you had. It's yeah. been duct taped together to hold a nine volt battery in, and I, it does still work. 
I'm going to try to power it up one of these days just for fun as a science experiment and see what happens. But yeah, it's just more for convenience than it is sometimes, you know, just so you're not, you know, getting caught up on stage and tied around a mic stand and things like that as well. We'll say I have uh, one of the spiders and it's cool for sitting around the house and practicing that, yeah, I leave the wireless charging in there. Yeah. That I really like, you know. It, that's and quite cool. cool the Line 6, the relay works with a multiple devices. So it's like I've paired it with that, that amp and I have a, a, a Yamaha amp that it works with. It's really cool. Nice. Yeah, the convenience for sure. Yeah, and I mean, tone like that you're used to and then obviously no cables. Uh, Klaus Back is jumping in. He says, greetings from Denmark. Love your stuff, Josh. Nice to see some people uh, joining in from around the world. Uh, supporting you uh steve sterlachi speaking of touring around the world steve's uh you know i'm sure you know steve he's met you quite a few times at nam he's told me he says uh, something i'm messing with in power cab is the rail amp heads and load box into the power cab crank the tube amp as much as you want very cool and he has a really good series on on youtube where he does a lot of um you know five minute or less tips on helix but he's doing a lot in power cab lately too so Check him out later on too, and I mean he might be the guy to watch for power cab stuff, just in case you're on the fence, you know. And I, I know it's never going to replace what you're doing right now with the tube amps, but if you want something as uh, just to get familiar with it, check out Steve's YouTube channel. Yeah, um, Steve's a good dude. He is, and I just got—I think he just got back home just a couple of days ago from their overseas tour. He's busy as they they can be. Uh, Alec Bourne, uh, dying to try the power cabs myself. Been messing with the Fullerton presets today, Johnny Lee. So Johnny's making some really cool presets. Sean Tubbs is here. I'm sure you know that fellow. Absolutely. Sean's <laughs> one of the best. Man. I love Sean. Uh, it says, Josh Smith is the, he says, the, uh, T-H-E-E, best guitar player top shelf. That's quite the compliment from Sean Tubbs. I love that guy, man. One of my favorite <laughs> players in the world. I have to share a funny story about Sean that I know you'll appreciate. Are, are you also familiar with Ian Thornley? Yes, I know Ian. Yeah, really great dude. I figured you would. It's it's one of those guys where you either you know him or you don't. And then when you don't know him, you really regret that you don't know him. And most people do. So Ian is a major fan of Sean's. Sean's a fan of Ian's. They love each other, right? Mad, mad respect for one another. And <laughs> Ian sends me an email one day and says, Eric, what, what gauge strings is Sean Tubbs using? What's, what's he doing? What's his tricks? I'm like, dude, why don't you ask him yourself? But on my show so we had the two of them on and it was a really 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 fun show and just seeing the mad respect between these two major major players it was uh i'm just like fanboy over in the corner just letting these guys talk i'm watching it was just be- a beautiful event but love such a talented guy man uh, i've been a big rec fan for you know 25 years and uh the, the second record floored me when i was 20 years old and i heard the pleasure in the greed record i loved it and we've become friends now i tell him all the time how much i listened to that record when i was young uh, he's. I'm a huge fan. And you know what? I, I, I'm going to go on a kind of on a bit of a tangent here. I'm going to say this. I'm going to put you and Sean and Ian on the same kind of uh, plateau. It's so hard to describe what you guys do. It's like they, if I'm trying, if I'm talking to a stranger that doesn't know your music or Sean's or Ian's, and I'm trying to describe your style, it's almost like I don't have words for it. It's just it's it's on so many different paths. And it's very, very inspiring. And it's like, wh- where do you even begin? But I mean, where did some of these crazy, crazy signature riffs of yours come from? Like, I obviously taking some, like blues and country and and jazz and some, you know, some BB uh, King and Chuck Berry and some of the country greats. You said Danny Gatton earlier, things like that. How did that meld in a in a pot to get your your tone and the sound that you have today? Well, for me, I mean, most of it comes from like most of us 
I'm completely obsessed with this, you know, with mm-hmm. guitar, mm-hmm. music. And I've been playing since I'm six years old, and I'll be 40 next month. And you know, so I've been playing a long time, um, and a long time gigging. I started gigging when I was 13 years old, you know. But I, I come from blues, so that's always where my heart is and what I love. But also since, you know, before I could even play, I was listening to rock and roll and jazz and country and, and just all music. You know, my parents like good music. I like good music. And I, I've tried to always listen with an open mind. And then I just have this personality of if I hear something I like, I'm going to learn it. I just have to. Mm-hmm. I have to figure out why. And it's not always a clinical thing. It's sometimes I have to figure out why something I just heard affected me. And it may be an emotional reason that I need to know why I reacted to that music. It could be the technique, it could be the the harmony, or it could be just literally the ferocity or whatever the way the guy played it. And so I try to always find things in everything I listen to that that I can kind of listen, you know, glean from and, and like and bring it back into my thing. And it took me a while to realize that, you know, what I was doing was building my voice, you know, was mm-hmm. finding all these things that, that kind of started, when I started finally letting it all come out in a natural way, instead of like, oh, right now I'm going to play blues for real, and right now I'm going to play jazz, and when I started just letting it happen was when I started to feel like I was finally finding me, you know, and that's kind of how it's how it started and happened for me. It's so cool to hear parents often because a lot of people, many of my guests come on here and they're saying, it was because of my parents. My parents were listening to rock. They listened to Sabbath and you know all this other cool stuff when, I, when I'm talking to my rock channel. But you're hearing all these influences you know, from the parents. And I think that's really, really, really cool. And if, especially if the, if the guitar player absorbs it like you have and you're not opposed to it and having an open mind is very, very cool. I, I would have my mom tell me, listen to Chet Atkins. You get to play like Chet Atkins. And I would give anything to go back in time and try to learn some of that because it was taught to me at such an early age, but I wasn't receptive to it because it, my mind was closed because I didn't hear the distortion and whammy bar dives and <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? You know, but yeah, we- I mean, it, absolutely. You know, my parents don't play. They're not musicians. There's there's not many musicians in my family at all. Mm-hmm. My uncle's musician, uh, piano player, but that was it. I, and, you know, he didn't live where we lived. I didn't grow up with anybody else playing around me in my family, but but they love music and my dad had this and still has an enormous vinyl collection and basically we'd watch sports on tv with the sound down and music would be on 24 hours a day isn't that and, cool uh, but i would wake up and we'd have you know it'd be the, the stones or the Almer brothers and then the next record would be kind of blue or giant steps you know and then the next record would be otis redding or wilson pickett or sam cook and then the, then then back to Hendrix, you know, or B.B. King or Albert King, Otis Rush. So he, he liked just good American music, all American jazz and blues and country and rock and soul and R&B. So that's I just heard great stuff all the way. T- so I liked it all, you know. Moral of the story is keep music playing at all times. Turn on the football game and just re- crank up the record player. Yeah, that was that was my household. We were watching Yankees baseball and listening to music. You know what I think is really cool these days, too? You get some young kid that comes up to you. And when I say kid, it goes to show my age as well, too. But any anything between, like, 21 years of age and younger. And it's like, oh, have you ever heard of so-and-so guitar player? And you're like, yeah, I grew up on listening to them. They're just, and they're discovering it, which is such a cool thing, you know. But it's like, it's nice to see, uh, as opposed to all this... And I, I don't mean any disrespect, but a lot of computerized music and sequence stuff and copy and paste type of things.
things that we see today and are discovering some great artists like the Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Pages, Jeff Becks, you know, all these great BB you know, Kings, you know, and to see passion in the, in the youth today. And I think that also has a lot to do with, you know, social media, YouTube, things like that as well, too, where we can discover this wealth of great inspiration. And certainly, as long as we have youth discovering what we learned growing up, the, the guitar is never going to die as far as the passion for the instrument. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a such an incredible time right now because people are getting so much better faster because of the amount of information available to mm-hmm. them. You know, uh, if there's something you want to learn now, you type it in and you get <laughs> 8 million tutorials on how to do that exact thing you're trying to figure out at that moment. That's right. You know? It was like I had to order a book and wait for it to show up at my music school, you yeah. know, or same with records. I had to go down to Specs or Peaches Records and place an order for yeah. Danny Gatton's albums. And they would trickle in from these little labels and places. I'd be, I'd be waiting on the call to come buy this record, you know, and, uh, yeah, now it's like you just snap your fingers and you have access to everything you could possibly have. It, it, it's helping people just go so quickly, you know? It is. Nowadays, you sit in a queue in a, in a pre-order, you know, iTunes or whatever the case may be. You're, okay, you know, uh, wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and there's my new record. You know, you got it there. Yeah, yeah it's hilarious. But it's still- go, go on record, you know, on Tuesdays to the record store for, you know, waiting in line. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something that kids will never experience, you know, and that was a really, really special thing. And even with movies, too, like we've we've lost in touch with that. Now it's all gone as well, too, going to the movie store. But, you know, a certain movie would come out. The Star Wars come out. We can go to the movie store, Blockbuster, and get our copy that we pre-ordered, you know, whatever. VHS even, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a totally different experience today. Uh, back to the chat, Quentin James says, I'm using, H- I'm using the effects return on a PV Studio Pro, but the 212 Power Cab has my name all over it. Uh, let me see here. Continuing on, Scott Roos. I've watched a few videos of people using it. But it just seems really choppy. I'm not sure what he's referring to. Not overly musical. I'm not sure what he's referring to there. Um, Steve Starlacci also says, I've got a 54 Gibson Les Paul amp that I love, but it's so damn loud. So this is a great opportunity to pair it with the Jetson speaker sim. Thanks, Frank. So I'm, I might have missed something there earlier, so it was, I can't comment on that. Uh, so Johnny's asking about the wireless. We, copied, we uh, covered that. So let's jump back a little bit since we're talking about technology and you kind of alluded that, you know, you started at six. I read somewhere that you got your first guitar at three and then by by time you're like less than 21 years old, you already had your fourth solo album out. Is that correct? Yeah, I put a lot of records out as a kid. Uh, My first one when I was 13 and uh, basically between 13 and 22, I did nothing but, you know, my own stuff and solo records, put out a number of albums, toured around the States in a van. And then at 22, that's when I moved to LA and kind of changed my whole approach and went more to the sideman and, uh, you know, session guy route. And that lasted for quite a while here. And then just naturally, it's kind of swung back completely the opposite, where now I mostly do my own thing again, you know, more than 50% of the year. Now it's become more like 75% of the year is my thing. And the other 25% is sessions. Or now I'm producing quite a bit in my studio for other artists, but I'm not going on the road anymore as a sideman. I only go on the road for myself. 
Exactly. That's good. And I noticed too, this is something that I, I had as a later question coming up as well too, but I saw through your Facebook post that you're actually taking that so serious that you're trying to find like the perfect, you know, a trio. You want that great bass player, the great drummer to not just be like filling guys and get me through the next gig. You want something you can, you know, have like your, you know, like your ginger bakers and all that kind of stuff. You want that nucleus to go out there as a trio and, and really make a mark. Well, you know, it feels like, first off, like I said, I'm turning 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I feel like palpable momentum yep. happening with what I do. My name is starting to finally grow a little bit, and I, I'm already touring quite a bit. But I do. I play with lots and lots of different rhythm sections every year. Uh, I fly around and play with guys in the countries I go to. Or when I bring guys, it's always different guys. And I'm fortunate to be here in L.A. and play with some of the best musicians in the world. But they're not in my band. Right. They're sometimes my best friends, and it's great playing with them. But, you know, it's time now. I, I feel like it's now or never to, like, finally have – my guys and just really really do this you know for real full time i've never had just since i was a kid really had my guys that are you know in the in the band with me right not tired to be there you know so i'm trying to make that the next leap it's difficult because the way i do it now while frustrating and difficult uh, I, I make a living so you know to do it the way i want to do it is a little more tricky but mm-hmm. it's now well, the thing is, too, I mean, I'm sure you've worked with some of the best of the best when you have fill-in guys, hired guys, you know, and I've watched some of the videos. I mean, there's certainly no slouches whatsoever, and they just let you shine. We get there keeping a great rhythm section. But when you've had the opportunity to stay with someone for weeks, months, years as a, as a unit, um, it's just going to really, really let you shine. And, and you, you can kind of count on them. You know exactly when they're going to go off on a little tangent. And, you know, then you can come back in, whereas with the hired guy, sometimes, you know, you might have only had a few hours, if anything, uh, with a rehearsal with them. So I can see that a huge benefit for you over the coming, you know, months and years. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm trying, man. It's, it's, I need it. I need that stability. You know, I, I, so much time and effort now goes into figuring out who's even going to be there, what songs to send them. Yeah. self-editing when I see okay these guys are gonna play with me at this gig they're better for this material than this material it's never just go play with my guys who know my whole book and do my thing you know like mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I'm I'm trying to get to and maybe if I can pull it off without losing money it'd be great yeah that's always a good thing do you have any prospective leads so far for some musicians or is it just gonna kind of near- I'm working on it I'm working on it yeah I'm hoping start of the first of the year will be kind of the beginning of that of of my guys and i'm on the road almost all of next year out of the country okay and i'm hoping to bring the same people for all of it instead of having different bands in every country and every tour yeah that that's good that'll be uh, i wish you all the best with that and what a way to kick off 2020 right start a new year yeah i hope so that's good man well i mean even though you say you're getting older you're still at a good age you know it's not like you're in your 70s trying to do this right so you've got a good but it is a little bit of it it feels like now's my time yeah you know yep i agree with that for sure uh here's a question from joe hervey and we get this a lot a lot of times people asking what guitar players are using for like strings and picks and things like that as well too uh and and i'm quite curious myself i see you digging into some stevie ray vaughn stuff and some heavy stuff and stevie's been known to play some heavy strings so joe's asking what strings and picks do you ask i mean do you do you use i use really heavy strings yeah uh 13 to 58 good lord 
Um, I use strings made by a guy here in, in Los Angeles named Gabriel Tenorio. Mm-hmm. He's a little company, the GTS String Co., and uh, he hand winds every string. They're pure nickel, and they're absolutely incredible, like game-changing. I've been using them for about four years, and they are unbelievably great strings. Uh, they stay in tune and intonate better than anything I've ever played, and they sound so good, man. Pure nickel strings, yes, they, they you know they get duller quicker, but man, they are just so much better with your pickups, the reaction with your pickups than steel strings, you know? They just, something magic about that. Um, so that's what I use string-wise, or yeah, really heavy. Okay. And thick picks, I use these gravity picks. Yeah. Um, they're the, basically the fender-heavy shape and 1.1 millimeter fender heavy thickness just normal shape oh very cool there, there you go joe there's your answer on that one and back to your your friend there in admiration of uh, ian thornley one time he said a joke i forget how he's well it wasn't a joke it was serious with him he's like yeah one day he was bored going around a house where so he, he he put some light gauge strings on some of his guitars i think he said some 12 gauge strings he went down a couple gauges i'm like he, like oh my god I, I i mean i play nines even on a les paul and I, I'm, that's my comfort zone. Back in the day with the Ibanez, I think I might have played eights. If I played a 12 on an electric guitar, I would seriously need some vice grips or something to, to, to assist me. But more power to you guys, for sure. Uh, I've been doing it a long time. I, I think I've been using 13s since I was 15 years old. I'd almost be afraid to shake your hand. I feel, feel like you might crush my hand. <laughs> I, I got strong hands. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's good. Ron Edwards asks... Uh, do you? Uh, he says, "Do you think it's possible to record and gig and be based out of Na- based out of Nashville as opposed to L.A. or New York as a player?" I, I would think uh, Nashville being one of the. I mean, Sean Tubbs is a perfect example as well too, and uh, Dave Nassie, one of my friends uh, that's been on the show before too, a very uh, big in the Nashville area. Uh, what's your answer to that? Yeah, absolutely. Nashville is a place. You know, there's not many, but Nashville is a place where you can work, and in fact. You know, I'd be lying if I said and I didn't consider moving there uh, over the years before. Um, I think I could work there a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, I like it here. You know, I've been here a long time, and uh, you know, now I'm really dug in. I've got my studio and I've got my whole scene here, and uh, you know, I like it out here. But yeah, Nashville is a place if you want to work and if you work hard. I mean, that, to me, that's the biggest key with coming here or to Nashville or any of these places is how much work are you going to put in? It takes a lot of pressing the flesh and shaking hands and, you know, making yourself known to people to get those, those balls rolling, you know, but it's doable absolutely here and in, and in Nashville. Well, here's a question. Let's, let's talk about the studio because you just started talking about it now. And I was something I want to talk about later on the program. And, and I want to I want to guess here because this could be taken either way. Flat V or is it flat five? Is that the name of the studio? I figured flat five because and I obviously we know why. And it's more than just an average little uh, studio off in the corner. It's beautiful. Tell us a little bit about that. And, and maybe if people want to contact you for, you know, for working on projects and things like that. Tell us a bit about the studio. So, yeah, uh, it's behind my house, detached. It's called Flat Five Studios. Um I've been working on it for quite a while. It took me about three years to, you know, pull it together. And, um, and now it's really fully functioning. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, it was a dream come true. Um, it's pretty big. It's uh, about 1,100 square feet. It's got a full live room, full control room, ISO booths. It has a bathroom. It has a guest bedroom, actually. Um, and, you know, when it started... 
obviously the main thing I was going to be doing was guitar tracks for people. Mm -hmm. I've also now recorded all of my material in the last few years back there. And I've now started to produce quite a bit. In fact, in the last two years, I've produced five or six other records for people other than my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying that. And yeah, the studio is a place where I almost don't have any limitations. I can pull off anything but giant string sections there. You know, um, there's plenty big enough to track live. And gear-wise, I have some really great stuff back there. I've got a vintage Trident console. Um, I've got great monitors, great pre's and EQ's, great mics. I have a plate reverb, and uh, I have a Studer 800 tape machine, 24 track. Beautiful. That. So uh, over the years, it's I've built up kind of into everything I ever wanted, and I'm I'm really proud of it. It's a special place. I think that's something every guitar player dreams of one day is having their own real studio. You know, kind of having a place where they don't have to go record anymore. And at, at three o'clock in the morning, when inspiration hits, they can record a record. You know, it's it's great. Plus, working with the other people that you have. But I, I definitely I definitely agree that you know it's not necessarily a bad thing not living in Nashville. You know, in, in Los Angeles, I mean, it's a hub for just about everything. And you're the kind of guy, too, that even though you're known for a certain style, if someone wanted you to guest on a record and do some, you know, rock or some crazy stuff outside of your wheelhouse, that can be yeah. done. No problem. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I still do quite a bit of, you know, people send me tracks and I'm just playing guitar on mm-hmm. them. It's, it's a, a chunk of my 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 living you know my yearly living is just still the normal guitar session work but i don't go to other studios as much as i did in the past now it's mostly they send me tracks and i just do them at my place you know which is really really nice oh of course of course it's right there it's, it's perfect for you yep and, but the and part, man the part i didn't consider uh the bonus of having it was what you said not even just getting to create at three in the morning just getting to play at three in the morning whenever i want or any time you know, I can go out there anytime and lace it up as loud as I want, and my son isn't complaining, my <laughs> wife isn't complaining, no one's complaining. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, like I've seen some posts on your social media as well too. And as guitar players and musicians, we all know this. You know, no matter what you're going through in life, if something is stressing you, there's nothing better than sitting down at the couch or whatever, or in your case, like the studio, cranking everything up where no one's going to hear you, and just drown away the week's problems or, or whatever the case may be. It's, it's the best therapy you can possibly have. Absolutely. Nothing puts a smile on my face quite like it. Exactly. Now, do you find, this, this, is, this is something I didn't have on the itinerary today, but do you find if you're sometimes in a bad mood, I had this happen to me the other day, I had some technical problems with doing what we're doing here today, and I was in a real bad mood. I couldn't buy a pinch harmonic if I went down to the pinch harmonic store and bought $500 worth of credits of pinch harmonics. I was so mad. And then after a show, it's the one I told you about with Alex Skolnick, after the wow. show, because things went good, I did another live show, and I was like, everything's great. And I was playing better than I, I, than I normally could because I was in a really good mood. Does bad mood sometimes bring the best out of you? Does, do you find your mood can really affect your guitar playing? Uh, yeah, absolutely your mood can affect your guitar playing. Bad mood is not good for me. Okay. Well, playing wise although the playing sometimes snaps me out of the bad mood good so you know there's a there's some room to wiggle there but i try to be not in a good mood either just kind of like normal i I, that's the way i try to live my life is very uh, even keeled you know so i'm always trying not to get too high or too low you know but yeah playing is normally for me a happy moment so as long as i'm in a normal state 
I'm going to be happier once I pick up the guitar, you know. So, but yeah, the mood affects what you do, absolutely. And uh, I'm always trying to be, you know, be happy when I'm playing. I like to be happy. And is it is it okay to say that maybe there are times when maybe you should just put the guitar down? Maybe it's not your moment at that time, and maybe come back. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean. You know, for me, I try to play absolutely every day. Okay. Like, there's not a day that goes by that I don't pick up my guitar and play, whether it's work-related or not. You know, it's just something I have to do mm-hmm. every day. But there are days when you just know, man, I, I just don't want to I don't want to touch that thing today, you know. And you'll pick it up, and you'll know then if, if you didn't know beforehand, you know after a few notes, you know what, I just don't. I don't feel like playing today. It's not often, but it happens. That's, and I'm glad to hear that. And I mean, it sounds funny when I say I'm glad to hear that, but because, but I get a lot of comments on the channel here where people that come through, it's probably one of the most common comments or questions I get. What do you get when you get in a rut or if, I don't, if I'm not playing good today, what do I do? And I get some guys that come through that are really accomplished players, some friends too, and they go through ruts. I'm just like, you know what? Everyone does. You do. You just you just mentioned it. Some days you just have to know when to walk away. And when you come back, it's going to be even more inviting than it was two days before. Absolutely. Everybody goes through ruts and, you know, tries to figure out how to break out of it. I have my own, you know, when I'm in a rut, I try to, to do the opposite of, you know, learning new things. I try to learn songs when I'm in a rut. It always breaks me out. Nice. Nice. I'll think of a band that I like. And of a song of theirs that I never actually sat down and learned, you know, and I'll learn that song. And next thing I know, I'm happy just that I learned that song and I'm not thinking about anything else, you know. Awesome advice. There's a takeaway for sure. We haven't talked about takeaways on the shows for a while, but that's a great takeaway. Learn something from a band that maybe you never learned you wanted to and now's the time for it. So that's a great. Well, that's, I do that all the time, whether it be, you know, today I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit down and just learn earth wind and fire songs or today i you know i, I want to learn this steely dan song that i've always loved but i was too lazy to sit down and learn those changes you know well today i'll learn them you know and when you do you get there's always that sense of yeah that was worth doing you know like a, a little a bit of accomplishment you know oh for sure well as i mentioned earlier too we've got links to all your social media profiles but one is your youtube channel and i want to direct some people to this youtube channel if you're not a fan of josh's youtube channel and i think you're just a couple away from five thousand subscribers on that channel so i'd love to okay. see you hit that but there's I'm a youtube slacker i need to get to work more on my youtube channel that, that's okay listen as long as you're playing every day that's the most important part but i discovered this series that you do on there like the weekly covers and i shared the one today with the steve ray vaughn tightrope and oh my god not only are you nailing the guitar but the vocal i mean i've always said this about steve ray vaughn you know it, it's and i it, i could be fought by some guitar players when i say this because i'm sure people think he's a better guitar player than a singer but i don't think so i think he's equally gifted was equally gifted and you captured both the dynamic and passion of his vocal and his guitar so you got to check out that channel as how where was stevie in your wheelhouse so you said a lot of blues where was he in- was enormous for me um when I, you know, I was still, I was already into Albert King and Otis Rush and BB King because my dad loved blues. So I, you know, and I was playing guitar already when Stevie passed away. Mm-hmm. I was ten when he passed away, so I'd been playing four years. And but then someone gave me a bootleg video of Live at the Elma Combo before it became an official release. Right. And I remember putting that VHS in and and just losing my mind because I'd never seen someone go 
you know, for lack of a better words, 150% like that. Mm-hmm. He was just pulling so hard, sweating his butt off and just playing like every note was his last. And it made a huge impression. And without Stevie, I, you know, I knew from that moment when I saw that video, that's what I want to do with my life, you know, is that. I want to play like that, like it, like every note matters, you know. And so he's, he's a huge, huge, huge influence. Um, and also the next few years spent after I got that tape were a big part of what we were talking about earlier, helping me find me because mm-hmm. I, I went so hard into Stevie that after a couple of years of that, the light bulb happened where it was like, okay, you can't just copy this guy. You've got to find your thing, you know? But right. Stevie is a huge part of my pie. Absolutely. It's, it, it's cool to see the passion and I could see you doing it as a nod to him on that video. It was, you know, you're totally you, but it was a nod to him. And I agree with that Elmo combo. I had that, I had the, the, the released one, the professionally released one, but yeah, that was just absolutely something else. And I think that's where a lot of people might go wrong today. You said you described Steve Ray Vaughan as playing like every note, like it was his last one. And, you know, he obviously did have a, uh, you know, a shorter term, you know, to express himself, obviously passing away tragically. Uh, but I think a lot of us, we know, we tend to go into these gigs and if there's not, you know, 500 people in a club or 5,000 people at a, at a festival or something like that, we don't give our best. But you always got to be playing like it's your last notes. It's your last time, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's not, yes. You don't, you know, you don't have to act, literally physically think this is it. Could all no, of course. Is, but, but, you know. I tend to, the way I look at it is you just need to believe everything you're playing. That's right. That's it. It's got to be truthful and honest and you got to believe it. So, you know, that's the way I approach everything I play. I want to really just mean what I'm playing, especially as an improviser. That's what I am. I'm, I improvise, you know, for my living 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the things that I'm playing, I want to, I want to believe them and I want people to know that I believe them and be able to feel that, you know, that's it because they will know in a heartbeat, whether if you're just going through the motions, they're going to, they're going to, this guy has no feel, this guy has no tone or soul, you know, but if you believe in it, you're, you're pitching it, you're delivering it. Of course they'll receive it. If you have a hundred percent belief behind it. Cause you're playing for everybody, not just the guitar players. So guitar players are weird. We can go to a show and listen to a guy, do his technical thing and be perfectly happy and enjoy that that show on a guitar player level. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the people in the audience will not enjoy that show unless he's playing something that they can connect with, that they believe that, or that they can feel, you mm-hmm. know? So the, the goal should be to marry all those things together, you know, all your technical ability and all your knowledge and all your heart and soul so that you're playing truly what you're feeling and hearing so that everybody can enjoy it and, and connect with it. That's right. If you get someone in the audience that may not be the most musically gifted or even musically talented whatsoever, they're tapping their foot and maybe even as an extra little bit humming the guitar solo, you know you've done something really well as a composer. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. Here's a couple other questions as well, too, from Charles Ireson says, uh, and we all tend to have these, a go-to guitar. What is Josh's go-to guitar? Yeah, my main one is the Black Chapin Telly, the okay. T-Bird that I've been playing for 13 years now. Um, it was made by Bill Chapin, who is in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it's basically a 50s-style telly. It's a one-piece ash body and one-piece maple neck. Um, it has a V-neck with a 9.5-inch radius. It has a Lawler pickup in the neck and a custom-wound bridge pickup that Bill, who made the guitar, wound. You know, 
uh, I'm one of those guys, some of my friends and other guitar players, they all, you know, never have the number one. They'll change guitars all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm different. I'll play a guitar for a long time. And uh, this one has been my number one now for 13 years, and I don't see that changing uh, anytime soon, you know. You get a personal bond with a guitar, don't you? You can almost look back and you know, like let's say you had three or four guitars in the rack behind you. In some cases, maybe you do uh, or more. But you know that if you're looking back and, and you're, okay, which one is going to deliver? It's going to be that particular one. You always have one that is the, the true best friend. Well, yeah, for me, it's, again, that personal voice thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of all this, you know, and I've got, like most of us, I've got lots of guitars. Of course. Uh, but every guitar I pick up has a personality, and they change the way I play sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if I pick up a Strat, certain things come to mind. Or if I pick up a 335, I'm thinking about BB King or Larry sure. Carlton. If I, you know, pick up a SG, I'm thinking about, you know, Santana or Angus Young or whatever. Things pop in your head. You can't help but be affected by the the tone that you hear and the, the way things feel. When I pick up that black Telecaster, I don't think about anything. I'm just me, you know. So that's part of it. Is it, it that guitar allows me to just be me. Is that the one that you, because I saw you playing a Black Telly in that Line 6 video way back with Sean when you were discovering Helix, is that the one you are using there? Absolutely. There you go. Very cool. Have you ever had a guitar, though, maybe that you've kind of almost like adopted out or like, you know what, to put this in a closet and never see it again and then rediscover it later and bring back a passion? Have you ever had one of those moments? Um, I had, as a kid, yeah. Yeah, I, I had an SG mm-hmm. as a kid um, because I was obsessed with, Dwayne Allman mm-hmm. and I was friends with Derek Trucks. We grew up together, and Derek played an SG, and uh, I wanted one. So I found one in the classified pages of the paper when I was 12, 13. Bought it for $250. It was nice. a 68 SG, but it was a trashed, the pickups taken out routes. Too. Oh, it, was, geez. it was messed up. Uh, and I played it for a few years, and I realized it wasn't so good, um, and then I put it away. And then after I moved here, you know, so you're talking 15 years later, mm-hmm. 10 years later. I got it set up and I started playing again for a while, and yeah, I re-fell in love with it. And then I already, then I fell out of favor with it again. <laughs> fast, but SGs are not me, man. I don't, I don't. I always wanted them to be, but there's something that never works on an SG for me. I think the only thing that I would always say about an SG that I I love, and and my son has one, is the fact that I can hit the 22nd fret with like nothing touching me. You know, and some people might say, well, just play a 24 fret guitar. But I mean, I don't necessarily want to go to 24 fret either. Yeah. I think that's what I don't like. I think there's a weird, SGs just don't balance on my body. I feel out of out of sorts when I play one. Yeah. It feels like the neck is way far away from me. I don't know. I, I see you as the tele guy and the strat guy, you know, almost, I mean, I don't want to typecast you, but I just see that being the comfort thing for you. Well, part of it too is I'm so used to that scale length, the Fender scale length, sure. and clarity of single coil pickups, because kind of everything I do tonally stems from you know trying to have as much dynamic range as possible, and single coils just have all that you know that flexibility and dynamic range, and and same with the scale length. The, the longer the scale, the more clarity you have. You know, the more snap, the more punch, the quicker the notes come out of the guitar. So yeah, that's that's definitely my home. Yeah. Well said. Here's another question from Ron Edwards. He says, uh, "Which is being a more, which which is being most important to you over your career? Having mad chops, or having mad personal skills and networking? It's probably a combination of both. I'd say that today, right? 
Well, I mean, personal skills and networking is something uh, I had to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always the nerdy guy, obsessed with the music end of it to a fault. It was all I cared about was being as good as I could be, knowing as much as I could know, not just about music, but about gear, about the history of music, about everything involved in this world that I was obsessed with, you know? And so I wasn't always the guy, like, especially as a kid, I struggled with looking somebody in the eyes when I shook hands or taking a compliment yeah. or, you know, those type of things. It took me quite a long time to, to realize that, wait, if I wanted to work as a musician, Kind of there was this whole other side, you know, especially once you, when I came out here and started being a sideman and a session guy, I realized more than half of it was not what I played. It was, do these people want to be around me? Do they want to be on a bus with me for a month? Yeah. Uh, do this producer, can we get along? Does he, does he feel like he can trust me in his, in his world, you know? And, uh, yeah, it took me a while to kind of get those, you know, I'm a pretty, like I said, even keeled guy, but I'm not incredibly outgoing. I don't strike up conversation for no reason. It's not my best skill, you know? So it took me, took me kind of working on that. I think that happens to a lot of us. It's like you get into like these, you know, if let's say you have a business, you go to these business after hours meetings and you're out there networking, trying to sell your business, you know, when you're not that guy or girl, it's not exactly, you know, you're just more comfortable being up there with a guitar, you know, and, uh, you know, and even some people, they, they get invited out to like open mic nights and maybe they're a guitar player and, and that's it. Someone asks them to get up and sing and they're like, can I have a guitar with me too? Cause I need that guitar for comfort zone. It's, there's a nice little safety blanket that we all have sometimes. Absolutely. Singing for me was, was, and still is, you know, I'm more insecure about my singing than I am about my guitar playing just because I've been playing guitar since I was six years old. And even though I started singing on stage when I was 14, it's still secondary to me and I'm not quite as comfortable doing it, you know? So yeah. I'm always working on that. I've heard that from a lot of um, guests I've had on the shows, you know, especially over on the rock side of my other shows. You know, they they were basically they became the vocalist because no one else wanted to do it, and yet sure. they had such a great talent. Is it something that do you do you think you sell yourself short sometimes as as a vocalist? Because I mean, I I personally think you're phenomenal. I know the fans do as well too. Do you do you do you? Th- I, I know you're a very humble person. You're grounded, but do you think you sell yourself short maybe sometimes as a vocalist? I don't know if I sell myself short. I do know that I've put in some hard work on mm-hmm. it over the years. And I, I do know I've improved over the years a lot because of the hard work. Um, so I finally reached a place where I can stand my voice. I can listen to it. Nice. It doesn't bother me. I know I have good pitch. I've worked really hard at that, you know. Um, but I don't consider – it's hard for me to consider myself like as a singer-singer like because then I listen to the guys that I – love more than anything and it's like well, I can't do that you know and I, I still struggle with improvisation as a singer mm-hmm. because I'm hearing all this stuff all the time but it, it wants to come out here and not here you know what I mean so I'm I'm constantly working on kind of being more comfortable letting it go here you know just being open and, and improvising in the way that I do on guitar with my voice it's, it's tough to kind of let those walls go down and be free to sing that way. way uh, I get it. I get it for sure. But I mean, you're doing it amazing at it. So I mean, just just keep on doing what you're doing. And obviously, you're as you say, you're seeing growth, you're seeing improvement, and uh, that's as as musicians, that's what we all aim for. Is obviously just get better and better and better as we go along. Uh, uh, Charles Irison once again asked another question too, and this is I'm quite curious on this one as too because I've never seen you play one. Have you ever tried a Variax yet? 
Uh, I have tried a Variax, yeah. Um, this was, again, at a time when I visited Line 6 one mm -hmm. time. It was, uh, yeah, like a Tyler one. Okay, and, yep. And it was very cool, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of, those are, this was years ago already when I tried it, and I was definitely more closed off to it then mm -hmm. than I probably would be now if I tried it again. <laughs> they're they're quite they're quite fun as you can see you can see one right above me right there that's a, a James Tyler one as well too and it was so funny I remember talking to Frank when Frank was on the show years ago about two years back I said oh man if you guys only had a a Variax with a Floyd Rose because I'm a Floyd guy and like he's like we do we do have one so I've been playing that one and uh, it's absolutely amazing I mean I can go from a Tele to a Strat. And even on uh, even on the Shuriken Variaxes, which you would never expect to get. I mean, the technology is pretty much the same amongst all the all the the Variax guitars with all oh. the different instruments. But I mean, you got a one pickup guitar on the Shurikens, and you got a five way toggle. And people are like, "Okay, I'm seeing one pickup and a five way toggle. What does that do?" But you go into a you know, let's say a Stratocaster mode, you put it in that second position, and you've got that spank of the second position on the five way of a of a real Stratocaster. It's like it's so amazing that you can do that. You know, yeah, I could definitely. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, with Helix and with all these devices like that. If I was still on the road playing sideman gigs all the time, I would absolutely be embracing more of these things quicker. For sure, that's I just see this ability to you know pull these gigs off, you know, in such an easier way, you know. Yeah, agreed. I'm not sure if you're friends with him on Facebook or if you know of him. You, you maybe do, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you about him. A good friend of ours in the community, Chad Husky. Uh, Chad is kind of like, in the Line 6 community, there's a lot of different guys that are known for certain things, what they do, like Jason Sedaitis, a friend of mine here. He does amazing, amazing things with presets, dialing in. He'll dial in everybody. And he, he'll do everything from like Steely Dan to Steve Vai to everywhere in between. And this guy's just crazy. He's a, he's a Yamaha artist as well, too. Great player. But Chad Husky is known for Variax. Look him up. And just, for, you know, sometime when you have some spare time and see what he does. And I'll send you his links as well, too. It's yeah, just sure, yeah. absolutely amazing what he does with one guitar. Like he's, he's got some Les Pauls. He's got other guitars as well, too. But he'll show up to a gig with uh, Helix, a Variax, and he'll go everything from, you know, U2 to, uh, you know, uh, just everything in between. It's just absolutely amazing what you can do with the technology. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, trying to think. Uh, Frank Rashad's also saying this is a great interview. Fascinating insight. Thank you, Helix. How are you? you are very welcome. I want to go back a little bit as well, too. Like you talked about some of these artists that you were ever an influence. Of. We talked about Steve Ravon. I'm, I'm curious to see, was there a little bit of Jimi Hendrix in there as well, too? Yeah, yeah. Jimi is huge. You know, there was a time I knew every single Jimi Hendrix song. Nice. Every, every one. I mean, you know, I, I got Jimi before Stevie. For oh, sure, because nice. my dad listened to Jimmy a lot. He's a huge Hendrix fan. So, you know, Jimmy is a, is an enormous influence. And Jimmy, I think Jimmy was the first guy I heard, because, again, I got to him before Stevie, mm -hmm. where I was able to connect dots and hear who he was hearing. Because I was listening to Albert King and Otis Rush, and I started to hear, okay, Jimmy has to be listening to Albert King and Otis Rush. And it was a big, you know... I, I tend to li listen to music that way and try to find connections between, okay, what was this guy listening to that made him come up with that? And what was this guy listening to? And yeah, Jimmy, I remember being able so clearly to hear how he was taking all these influences and then just going, you know, to the freaking moon with them into this place that never existed before. And it's so, you know, there's, that's so inspiring. And that's the, 
the main thing about Jimmy, you know, it, yes, the music is so great, but man, just the fact that he even was able to think of this stuff that he did is mind blowing to me, you know? I, I agree. And it's some of these players too, I've used the term like an onion, you know, like you you peel back some of these layers and you realize what's going under there. And sometimes, you know, you get some tones and you think, okay, that sounds a little harsh uh, outside of a mix. You put it in a mix and just, just what they're, like Jimi Hendrix, for, for example, is a player that I didn't discover till later, probably to my late teens. And even though I wasn't the world's biggest fan, once I started going back and I was able to get a little bit better at guitar where I could go back and learn some of the parts, still can't play half of his stuff, but just to discover what they were doing and you realize what's going on underneath. And he's not the only one. Even people like Jimmy Page, who I don't think is necessarily one of the world's, you know, he's not a shredder by any means, but you, you peel back the layers and look what's going on underneath and you discover actually how good they are as a musician. Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys are geniuses, no? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Hendrix, to me, you know, these all those lists that come out of greatest guitar players and top 100 and this and that, it's so hard to, that stuff is impossible to, you know, everybody gets in fights and it's all subjective. Yep. But Jimmy, to me, is the one that I, I can't, nobody can argue because I don't think anybody has had the, the wide-reaching, uh, you know, effect that he has had on our instrument ever. Like, yes, you know, Chet Atkins and Les Paul and, and V.V. King and, and Eddie Van Halen and Clapton. Mm -hmm. to me, no one absolutely just changed the face of the instrument for the rest of history like as much as Jimmy. I mean, Eddie did it too, and so did Clapton and these guys. But Jimmy did it in this way that just like without him, none of the other stuff would even happen, you know? Exactly. I agree. I agree with that. Like you mentioned Eddie Van Halen, somebody obviously that's close to me as far as a fan. Uh, people, you know, they heard eruption and things like that in 78 and thinking, okay, this is what is this? this is a spaceship coming down, whatever. But imagine being back in the 60s with Jimi Hendrix. Um, you know, unfortunately, I never got to experience Jimi Hendrix, you know, while he was alive. I know my brother-in-law physically got to see him at Woodstock. And I mean, that's like watching the man land on the moon in person, in my opinion. Imagine. You know. Can you can you imagine those people that were able to? I mean, there's still people alive today, obviously, that were there and witnessed that event. I just can't imagine what it'd be like to be there, even if you're back, you know, uh, 15, 30,000, 100,000 people, 300,000 people back. You can't see the stage. All you're hearing is repeated, you know, I don't know if they had repeating PA systems back then. Did they even have that? But just yeah. to be there and witness that and feel it. Yeah, my dad said the first time he heard Purple Haze on the radio. He, he couldn't even fathom what he was hearing. It was so different than anything he'd ever heard, you know, and it just completely changed his life, you know, and can you, and he didn't even play guitar, you know, it's like, can you imagine, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine it being around at that time, you know? And that's a cool thing today too, because that legacy continues on through many, many musicians. I mean, you're carrying it forward. You're passing the torch, you know, to the next generation and younger kids are discovering you. They're seeing the blues uh, from the BB Kings, the Hendrix, the Stevie Ray Vaughan's, uh, the Albert Lees, you know, all these amazing, amazing musicians. And I think, I think as musicians, we kind of, we don't have an obligation, but it's nice to, to pass it on to the younger generation. And sometimes we don't even have to. Sometimes they're just discovering it on their own, thanks to the YouTubes and things like that as well. But I think there's still a nice long history of guitar as long as we keep having the passion like you have and, and putting it out there. Well, it's such a, I mean, I, just like the learning part of guitar is never ending, so is the, the learning about other musicians, you know? It's like 
I, every day almost I'll have somebody tell me about somebody I never heard of, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, who is this guy? This is unbelievable, you know, and uh, uh, that's so exciting to me about this instrument we play. It's like the possibilities are completely endless. You know? That's one of the things I'm, I'm very, I think one of the warm, fuzzy feelings from doing these shows is sometimes I'll have guests on the show, and I mean, it happens a lot, you know, there'd be some combined, I never heard of a particular guest, whatever, and then they, they research a catalog, and then I get a message a couple of days later through either email or Facebook or something, they're like, thank you so much for turning me on to that artist, and it is a really, really cool thing, it's like, there's so much music out there, we can't consume it all, you know, it's just, it's just impossible, but when someone brings something to your attention, and then you've made them a fan of it, it's like, it's like really cool. It's a really cool feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's times I, I love turning people on, you know. And, and it's interesting because with younger cats, you know, you can turn them on to somebody that you can't believe they don't know. You know what I mean? I, I know. That feeling is so great. You know. It's it's there again. I hate to say the name like five times during the show. I mean, nothing wrong with it. But Ian Thornley, you you assume everyone knows about him, but yet there's all these people. It's like, no, I haven't heard of him. And it's like, yep. go listen, and then I'll I'll, I'll wait for that email tomorrow. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? The thank yeah. you. Yeah, but, I know. I mean, when I tell people to listen to, yeah, to either the O for Pleasure and the Greed or Albatross or whatever, they say, listen to this guy singing and playing. And then come back and like, that's the same guy singing that too? And I'm like, yeah, same guy. It's unbelievable. I'll share a really cool story with you that I would just flabbergast me because you mentioned the Oaf. And that's a that's a song to me as a Van Halen fan where, you know, Eddie Van Halen would do the cathedral thing with the delay and rolling the volume like this and, you know, yeah. uh, hammering the notes and, and rolling like that. And I assumed that's what Ian was doing on that song because it sounded just like it. Like, I mean, I shouldn't say just like it, but the exact same approach. And I hadn't heard too many guitar players um do that kind of thing right there's there's some out there but i he told me the story and i can't repeat the whole thing but it's a series of gates and mini controllers and all yeah. kind oh my god it was just absolutely like it's like when you thought it was as simple as this it was crazy well, see, when i heard that i was like this is so cool he's doing the who keyboard thing on guitar he won't get fooled again so, yeah yeah it was it was absolutely beautiful. It was very very cool. And there was a comment earlier. I missed it. and I scrolled too far. But Andrew Bonica from Line Six had mentioned something along the lines of uh, he thought you did a great ge- uh, demo on the new Spider series. So that yeah. was cool. I saw that briefly on Facebook, and I think we shared that over on the Helix Hour as well too. I can't. You couldn't even fathom the amount of messages I've got in the week since that video came out <laughs> of people just being positive that I'm lying on that video, that that's not me playing through the preset I made on the spider. <laughs> they thought it was something else, did they? Oh, they're like, what amp are you really playing through there? And is that your Chula pedal? And I'm like, no, man, I'm plugged through the wireless straight into the spider. That's it. That is very, very cool. So, I, yeah, I did see that demo. That was very, very good. And it was very transparent. You could tell that it was just, just you. Uh, Ron Edwards has a question. He says, why do you think R&B and soul players get overlooked when it comes to influences? David uh, T. Walker, Cornell Dupre, uh, things like yeah. that. What's your thoughts on that? Well, they don't get overlooked in my world because right, of course. they're an enormous part of what I do um, and what I love, especially as a rhythm guitar player. You know, these guys are the best rhythm guitar players ever. You know, funk, soul, R&B uh, guitar players. I've spent, you know... <laughs> a ton of my life working on that stuff and uh you know i think guys are into the flashy things us guitar players were into all this flash and pomp and circumstance and that i love it too you know but the people who work are the people who can do their job and these guys did their job better than anybody and that job being making the song pop 
backing up the singer, mm-hmm. making the singer sound better, um, making the song come alive, you know, and, you know, Cornell Dupree, Steve Cropper, Jimmy Nolan, David T. Walker, like he said, Eric Gale, these guys are geniuses at doing those things, you know, and, uh, you know, if you want to be a good rhythm guitar player, to me, those are the best things to work on is listen to the way that these guys take a simple part and make basically glue that song together. You know what I mean? And, and uh, they're genius stuff. I couldn't agree more for sure. And you mentioned Eric Gales too. That's some, another person that's on my radar as of late. That guy that the, uh, I, I don't know where he comes from with his talent, but it's something that is just, I mean, watch him play with uh, Joe Bonamassa, a recent, a recent uh, gig with him. And uh, I mean, you're look, you're look, you're watching Joe, and you know when you, when a musician's doing well, when you're getting a grin like that from Joe Bonamassa, you know, and he's feeling he's feeling that stuff. It's just absolutely amazing. Well, yeah, Gales is a is a mofo, you know, and he's a great dude. I've known Eric a long, long time, and uh, you know, I'm I'm so happy to see him getting the due that he deserves. Now he's been doing this a long time. And uh, he's unbelievably great, you know, and he deserves it. Isn't it funny when you when you hear someone say, "Oh, check out this new guy, so and so," and you're thinking because now he's he or she they, they've just got their their break and they're an overnight success. Meanwhile, they've been doing it for 15, 20, <laughs> 20 whatever the character. Oh yeah, I mean, he was on a major label when he was sixteen years old. I you know I remember seeing him in Guitar Player, and I had to know who it was because they said this kid was sixteen. He had a Stevie Ray Vaughan strat. He talked about how much he loved Stevie Ray Vaughan. He had just got signed to Major, and he was going to be on Arsenio Hall show. And I stayed up late and watched him and Eric Gale's band on that show, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Upside down, you know, this kid my age, and uh, yeah, I had his poster on my wall, and he thinks that's hysterical because I tell him that all the time. (laughs) What a cool story. I used to watch that show religiously, and I, I would have never known Eric at the time. You know, I would love to go back and actually I'm going to see if I can YouTube it, see if it's out there so I can see that first performance. I mean, this is 24 years ago, you know, 25 years ago. So just a kid, just a a teenager. How old would he be back then? He was 16, 17, 18 when the Eric Gales band stuff was going on. Okay, okay. He was on either A&M or Arista Records, I can't remember. And they did two records with that band. Wow. Amazing! I know he had some tour dates coming into into Canada here a while back, and I've reached out to his people to have him over on my other show as well too. But he had some immigration problems that sometimes happens coming over here to Canada, and yeah. some of the Canadian dates were bumped out, which was a real shame. Uh, probably blues festivals and things of that nature. There's uh, here yeah, in so. Canada a lot of really cool blues festivals. Um, old guys guitar vlog says awesome interview, Eric. Can you please ask Josh when his live record is coming out? <laughs> it's coming soon. Uh, it's done completely, um, the video and the audio. I'm just trying to figure out the smartest way to release it uh, and have it have the maximum impact. Run. Yeah, impact. Um, I'm very proud of it, and it, the video looks tremendous. Um, so I'm just trying. I'm probably closer to the holidays I will release it. Um, but I, I've got a lot of little irons in the fire that I'm trying to figure out for it as far as the video, like getting it placed on certain services and mm-hmm. streaming things. So soon I will have that all mapped out and I will announce the release date and probably have a pre-order thing up for it. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. We played, we played good <laughs> those nights, so I, I'm ready to get it out there. Are you thinking maybe possibly some limited edition vinyl or maybe it's something you can or can't comment on? Well, I don't know about vinyl because when I'm printing it myself, vinyl is expensive. Sure. It will definitely be both the physical version and the digital version and the digital version 
we'll have the whole entirety of the two shows available, both audio and video, which I can't fit on one DVD or one one audio disc. So. It's something you're, you're really looking forward to getting to the fans for sure. Yeah, I haven't done a live album ever, you know. So, well, I did one when I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. so that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, people have been asking for it forever. And uh, so we, we filmed it at the Baked Potato. It's in 4K. It's beautiful. And uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to people seeing it. It'll be the first record I've ever done where no one will ever say I didn't play enough guitar on the album. Now, is that there's a segment on your website, uh, which we have linked below as well, too. And I think it's the very first video. It's under media on your tab. You have some great resources on your website. Under media, it's the first video. Now it's at the Baked Potato. Is that a segment from that upcoming um, live or no? No. No, no, that's um, just a gig just there. A, a YouTube video from from another gig at the Big Potato. Okay, but what a, what a historic club too, right? Oh man, when I first moved to LA, that's the first place I went. You know, so I grew up, you know, hearing recordings from the Big Potato, seeing bootleg videos from the Big Potato. Uh, so that's the first place I wanted to be. So now I, I play there all the time. But I never lose the little bit of excitement every time I play the baked potato. I love it. It's like all that uh, the blood, sweat, and tears, and who knows who knows what else is in that stage. But I mean, like the whiskey, you know, is for the rock clubs here in Canada. Obviously, in El Macombo, you know, things yeah. like that. These these clubs and some a lot of them, unfortunately, some of them are gone. The the, the ones that we just witnessed all these phenomenal bands on. But just to be on these stages sometimes, and even for a young up and comer band, sometimes there's like a an off night where they can open for somebody at these clubs. And yeah. sometimes I just don't know they realize what is there. The baked potato is a you know. It's also it's a very much a guitar player's room. Yeah, you can get away with playing loud in that room, and it almost sucks it up. And <laughs> people don't mind. You yeah, know? it's a, it's a it's a just a great place to play as a guitar player. And like I said, I mean, I remember having Larry Carlton's instructional video, and they would cut away to footage from the the last night live album at the Big Potato, and I would just think, man, I want to be there. I want to go there. You know, so every time I play there. I, I still have those little moments where I'm thinking about that stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, because obviously some clubs, I mean, you get anything over like a 20-watt combo and uh, <laughs> you're too loud, man. Turn it around, faces at the back wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Are you doing uh, Winter Nam this coming January or are you going to be, uh, like I know that's a whole new thing next year, getting this band together, things like that, but are you doing Nam again? I will probably be in town, yeah. Good, uh, I'm good. I'm 100% certain as of right now, but most likely I will be around. That's good. We'll look for possibly uh, look forward to meeting you, and we'll uh, we'll reach out and see if we can uh, catch up and uh, you know discuss what's happening at that point as well too. But throughout, yeah. we've only got what like four months left, a few months left here in uh, in the year. Other than yeah. you know, you got a few uh, half a dozen American dates left, then a couple of stints over in Germany, uh, and obviously planning on the new live record. What else is going to take you through to uh, the Christmas season? Um, mostly, I'm, I'm producing here in my studio, so I'm home. Most of the year, I have a, a short East Coast where I'm going to go play in New York and Boston in October. In November, I'll be in Texas for a few days, in Austin and in Dallas, uh, doing a few shows. Um, but mostly, I'll be working here in my studio. Uh, I'll be figuring out the release for this live album and getting that square. And kind of figuring out, like I said, the whole band situation for next year. Because uh, while January, I have a record to produce and NAMM. February I start touring. I have a, I'll be in Florida where I grew up, and then I go on the Bonamassa cruise in February, and then March is probably going to be South America. April and May is Europe. Uh, June, July will be like Scandinavia. 
then I have the UK again, Australia again next year, Japan again next year. So next year I'll be gone quite a bit. So I'm, I'm working on who's going with me. Busy year. And I can't wait to find out who this project's going to be. And I'm wishing you the very best with it. And it's, I know it's going to be exciting for you. I, yeah, it is, you know. And I don't even know what will happen. It, I could end up just doing what I'm doing now. and yep. you know. But I'm really, really trying hard to pull off finding my guys. So. It's going to be a team. It's going to be, that's right? It's going to be a team. I hope so. Yeah, I hope I, so. that's going to be great. As we get into the final stretch here, just a couple minutes left, uh, Ron Edwards has a question. And this is always a good question, depending on who we're talking to. He says, are there any current artists? I know you've mentioned some really good artists today, but are there any current artists or players that you're into that would surprise us and maybe even way outside your wheelhouse? That would surprise you? Yeah, so, uh, so maybe you're a fan of someone that we would not suspect. Ah, uh, let me think about that. Because, I mean... Yeah, any guitar player I throw out, you would at least probably you know suspect. Mm -hmm. I like St. Vincent a lot, but she's still a guitar player, so it probably doesn't surprise anybody. Um, I like Nora Jones a lot. I don't know if that surprises anybody. That's good. Um, as far as like new music, jeez, that's a tough one, man. I I, I admit I got to get a little bit more open minded to listen to new stuff. You know, uh, I just don't spend enough time doing it. You know. That's something I learned from youth. I learned from my son, who's, well, at the time he was maybe 11. He's 13 now, but introduced me into bands that I would never normally listen to. I talked about this with Alex Skolnick the other night, Slipknot. I'm sure that's not a band that's in your wheelhouse, but it's not in my wheelhouse either. And, you know, listening to the stuff that he listens to, just like you and I learned from our parents listening to their music. Sure, you know, our kids learn from us too, but I think we can learn from our kids. It's not all about the Britney Spears and the whatever, the, whatever they're listening to, right? I know I'm even dating myself by saying Britney Spears, but you know where I'm going. Yeah, you know, we listen to what they're listening to. And it's like, that's pretty good. My son will play me this music. You know, he, we, we subscribe to Apple Music, so we have, a, you know, a plethora of what we can listen to. And he's turned me on to a lot of pop. And the thing is, is no matter whether you like it or not, you're going to know a good song and a good and good songwriting the minute you hear it, even if it's outside of your wheelhouse. And I've discovered two two artists. Um, you know, Billie Eilish is one. Look her up if you don't know about her. Um, I think she's like maybe 18 years old, and she's getting props from major. You know, do you know about her? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Oliver Tree, another young artist, pop artist, but it's like you can't hide behind. This music, either it either is a good songwriter or not. So long story short, be open-minded. And I'm trying to profess yeah. that to myself every day because sometimes I'm closed-minded for certain things. But there's good stuff out there. We just have to open our ears. There is good stuff. Like I like Anderson Pock, you know, and I'm not really a rap guy. But mm -hmm. I like the music that he's doing, you know. It, it, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. You know, it helps that I know some of the people in that, that service in L.A. thing. But that was something I would definitely never normally search out and listen to. So, I mean, there's one person, at least, I can think of. I agree for sure. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up here, but before we go, I just want to mention to everybody as well, too, one of the cool features we've had here on the Helix Hour is uh, we get some really cool presets from our guests for either Helix or HXFX or Stomp or anywhere in between. And uh, Josh is going to be giving us something later. you want to tell, is it going to be a Helix preset or is it going to be one of your Stomp presets or... It'll probably be one from the HX sound, yeah. Perfect. All right, so we will get that down the road as well, too. We're going to um, uh, assist Josh in getting that to us, and we'll link that in the description, and we'll pin it in the comments down below. Uh, but, Josh, I want to thank you for taking your time on this uh, beautiful Sunday afternoon to talk guitar and technology with us. And uh, Absolutely. Th 
I know a fan of my pleasure. And listen, we'll touch base with you again. Hopefully we'll get a chance to meet you at NAM if you're there. And then we'll reach out to you again in the new year. And at that point, I'm looking forward to some really exciting news that you found the team. You guys have got, you know, some dates under your belt. It's like a well-oiled machine and uh, we'll get you back on the show uh, whenever time permits and we'll talk about it. Great, man. Let's hope I get to Canada too. That'd be great. I'm trying hard. There are some nice there are some nice clubs here as well. Like I mean, really really good places to play and some great festivals as well, which you would do very very well at. We are, yeah. Fantastic. Well, listen, don't go away. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. And everybody, I want to say thank you so very much for tuning in, having a, a great Sunday with you, and invite you to tune in again next week, uh, Friday, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. I've got Bruce Kulick from Kiss, Grand Funk, and a bunch of other classic uh, uh, acts here on the show. We we'll look forward to seeing you over there. And until then, cheers. <laughs>